So when we hear good news or when something great happens to us, what do we do? Celebrate? What else do we do? Sorry? Congratulate people? Share it. How do we share it? Facebook? In fact, every social media platform available to us, I'm pretty sure that Amy would have had pictures posted on Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, everything that there was. This is kind of what we do, isn't it? When we have good news, we just want to tell everybody about it. We kind of gush. Roy and Maria became grandparents for the first time just a few weeks ago, and there was just a tiny little bit of gushing happening at the, at the welcome at door last week because Roy was on there and he said, oh, let me just show you a picture. It was, it was accompanied by pictures, you know. So we can't help but be just overflowing with our excitement, can we, when we hear something good. And uh, at Alpha this week, we're just coming to the end of our Alpha course that we've been doing here at Coast. And uh, we, uh, one of the films that we were watching was the why and how should I tell people about Jesus? Now, here's the thing. Uh, in the church, we call that particular activity evangelism. Anyone heard that one? Yeah. How does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah, someone's shivering up the front. Um, however, evangel- to be an evangelist, if you look up what that means, it actually means to be the bringer of good news. We're bringers of good news. And we actually do this stuff all the time. Pokemon Go. Pretty sure there were some evangelists for Pokemon Go when that came out just a little while ago. Our young people were like completely absorbed with this thing. And they told, did you guys tell anyone about it? When you were, no, you just quietly kept it to yourselves. Not because I downloaded the app because they were telling me how good it was. So they were evangelizing for Pokemon. We do the same thing all the time with stuff that we get into. You know, it's this natural byproduct of our enthusiasm. Now, here's the thing for us if we're followers of Jesus. He is the best good news we could ever have in the whole of our lives. So one would think that it would be a natural byproduct of our enthusiasm about that, that we would tell other people about that, wouldn't we? No. No. Now, it turns out that 95% of Christians that they discovered in a a study not that long ago in the States, 95% of Christians have never, ever led anyone else to the Lord. So that's most of us, actually. The vast majority of us don't actually tell other people about this. And even if we do, we don't sort of persevere with it long enough to see any change happen. We kind of get cold feet. I think one of the things for us in our context as Kiwis, there's a few sort of no-go subjects that we just don't talk about, do we? We don't talk about sex. We don't talk about politics. We don't talk about money. And we don't talk about religion. Kind of sets us on edge a bit and feel a bit defensive and certainly we feel uncomfortable. Those are some of the things that we're going to sort of bump up against uh, as we think about this whole thing of, of giving our faith away, of, of sharing what we have with other people. You know, we just sang a song this morning called Build Your Kingdom Here. Did you, anyone else sing it with me? I'm pretty sure I, I heard other voices. It's awesome listening. Every now and then, do you just stop singing and listen to the church worshiping God? It's so cool. Um, and as we're singing Build Your Kingdom Here, he can't and won't do that without us. 
He has chosen to partner with ordinary people to build his kingdom here. In Whangaporoa, in Stanmore Bay, on the Hibiscus Coast, in New Zealand, he chooses to limit his activity so that we get to be part of it. It's what he's always done. And here's the thing, there's a wee catch. If 95% of us are too uh, nervous or uh, culturally it just doesn't feel like a great fit or personality-wise or whatever, and we just don't tell other people, here's the catch. If not us, then who? If not us, then who? Why don't we just pray? So Lord, we're here because probably someone told us about you. But before even that happened, you were wooing our hearts. You were doing things in us to draw our hearts to you. There may be people here this morning, Lord, that that's happening right now, that they haven't actually figured out who you are or what you mean to them. But you're calling them. You're wooing them. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you'd come and that you would release again on us just that sense of awe and wonder that we get to be in relationship with you, that you'd encourage us again with the hope that you've brought each one of us, the purpose you bring our lives, the love that you make so available to us, and the forgiveness for everything we've done and everything that's been done to us. So, Lord, would you come and would you grab our hearts again with your love for us and compel us, Lord, out of that place. In Jesus' name. Amen. We uh, were reminded in the Alpha course this week that Jesus tells us, or the Bible tells us, over 1,500 times to go. We're sent people. This is really important. Church is really important. The reason that we started this church is because we felt like God had called us to come and put like, you know, a stake in the ground up on the coast, that there were people that he was going to draw to this place, and we're it, three years on. And, and that was part of us being sent, of going. And God really cares about this stuff. So he tells us over and over again, you, it's quite possible that we are not the only ones who have struggled with this, because the fact that he has to tell us over 1,500 times in one book to go means that we're either really hard of hearing or we kind of, you know, have trouble with kind of really grabbing a hold of this thing. But, you know, if, for those of you who know Scripture, you'll know the story in Matthew where, where Jesus is telling us, you are the salt of the earth. You're called to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be out in the world with our friends, with our family, with our co-workers, with our neighbours, our, in our communities, and we as salt are bringing out the best flavours of the people that we get to do life with, of the community that we're in. We get to be light for people that have lost hope, who are just com- completely overwhelmed with the darkness of their situation, who are desperately hoping there might be some other way. And we get to be that light. It might be tiny and just glimmering. Other times we feel like, yeah, man, I'm like a hundred watt bulb, you know, just going for it. But we are light. Jesus has sent us out to be those things. And, and this is the sum of the why. Why would we do this? Why is it important? It's important because Jesus tells us that he wants us to go. It's important because it's an act of love. 
You know, we have a phrase on, on the news sheet and that we use a lot, and it says, it must be love. Well, what does that mean in the context of this? Because we are constantly, as a church, trying to figure out what does it mean to actually be that, to live that, that we get to love well. We love God well, that we love people well. We love the least well. What does that mean for us? In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, we read this. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, that was Jesus, and therefore all died, but we get hope there. Now there's debate around this love that they use in that particular verse. Christ's love for us, or does it mean our love for Christ that they're talking about, that Christ's love compels us? We're compelled. What I suspect is that it's a both and situation. It's both Christ's love for us that compels us because we've encountered this amazing thing and we would be wanting, you know, as good news, we've found out, we want to tell everyone about it. That's what we'd be doing because we have experienced Christ's love and we are compelled by our love for him because then we care about the things that he cares about and he cares about people, all of the people, all of the people. So there's a couple of reasons why, because Jesus tells us to, because it's an act of love, and honestly, because people are in really real need. You know, uh, I have been on the earth for some time now, and uh, I grew up in a family that uh, we went to church because my dad was um, English, and so that was the proper thing to do, I was to go to church, mostly for Christmas and Easter. And then it sort of would, you know, we'd kind of wax and wane as a family a bit. We'd go more sometimes and less others. And then I actually came to faith when I was about 11 or 12. And that was through a friend of mine whose uh, parents were pastors in another church. And I was just completely captivated, I think it was, just by what I saw in their family and the way that they lived their lives. And I trundled along and uh, life was good for a good stretch of time, and I was involved in a, a Baptist youth group. Don't you love Baptist youth groups? They do such a fantastic job all over the country. And uh, so I went along there. I had great Christian friends through high school, and then when I was 17, uh, I left home and at about that same time uh, encountered some really, really difficult things in my life. And um, I moved up to Auckland. Sorry, didn't mean to get emotional at this minute. <clears throat> Are the kinds of things you wouldn't wish on anybody, but unfortunately happened to far too many people. And as a result of some things that happened, I just completely spun out because I didn't think that any of my Christian friends would want to know or, or I was so ashamed of telling them what had happened to me. And... Uh, and so I left the church, and I left. I ran away from God because I didn't feel worthy for him to love me anymore. Sorry. But I had a friend who didn't ever quit for three years. He kept reminding me again that God loved me. He didn't know all of what had happened to me. And at that particular, over that couple of years, I got so good at faking it. I just had this big wall up in front of me. And people would be coming and saying to me, man, you just seem to have life all worked out. How do you do that? You know, you just got, you just 
got this thing sussed, and on the inside, I was dying. Completely broken and full of shame and going to all the things that the world would tell us are good coping mechanisms. Alcohol, people, keep busy so you don't have to think too much. All of those things became my coping mechanism, but nobody knew. I didn't tell my parents what had happened to me. I didn't tell anybody. I was just trying to carry this thing and I was getting crushed under the weight of the pain of it all. And I had this one friend who continues to be a friend to this day. I met Matt through him, so I actually owe him a lot because I not only came back to the Lord through his persistence, but I also got a great husband. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, one, his wife is one of my best friends. So I did very well out of this friendship. Um, but he had no idea what was going on for me, the need that I had. But he just kept persevering. He bought me this huge Bible right at this point where I'm like, oh, I'm not having a bar of that, you know. Thanks very much. Shove that on the shelf to get dusty. I still own it. He didn't know the need that I had, the absolute brokenness that there was inside. He had no idea. But his persistence, his love for Jesus and his love for me as a friend just made him never give up. And I know for a fact that he kept praying for me. I know my mum was praying for me. People just didn't know what was going on, but they didn't stop praying for me. We have a God of fresh starts, and boy, did I ever need one. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 5.18, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, that is Jesus, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us now the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. We get to be that friend, that tell someone that we love or that we know, even if it looks like they've got it all together, even if we have no idea of what's really going on for them, we get to keep reminding them of Christ's love for them. We get to keep holding out this promise of a fresh start, of hope, of forgiveness, of healing, because it's real. We've experienced it. All of us that are here that are following Jesus, have experienced that to all the different degrees that our story has warranted, all of the things that we've brought to him. So what is it then, if we, if we have experienced that, if, we, if Christ's love has come and filled us up and we love him back, what holds us back? One of the things that holds us back is that we think it's for the professionals. Personally, I haven't quite figured out what a professional Christian is, but, um, but apparently there are some. And they wear shiny shoes and they stand up on a stage and they wear a really nice suit. <laughs> no, you know what I mean, I'm just teasing. But we, we kind of often think, well, it's for, the, it's for the pastors or for the church leaders or someone like that, the professionals. But here's the thing, guys, this is not a rugby game with spectators and professionals. It's not. We're all in this thing together. You hear us talk a lot in the vineyard, but one of our big values is that everyone gets to play. Christianity is a faith where everyone gets to play. It's not for a chosen few. The true picture is, is that the church is ordinary men and women, us, running down the field playing the game. We're all on the field together. Pastors, we're the nutty ones running along the side of the lines, cheering you on, equipping you to play, preparing you, encouraging you, coaching you, but we're all on the pitch playing the game together. 
There's no room for, there's just no place for professionals and spectators. There is no church without this. If the early church had thought, well, it's only for the apostles, those 12 men that followed Jesus, we wouldn't exist today as a church. It's just never been an option. We're all in this thing together. The other thing that can hold us back is that we think it's all on us. We kind of feel the weight of the responsibility of like, if I tell Trish about Jesus, it's my job to make her a Christian. If I just work hard enough, if I just tell her enough, if I pray hard enough, if I'm spiritual enough, she'll come to faith. Okay, take the load off. Because that's not how it works. If you think about your own story, if I think about my own story, before my friend was telling me all this stuff, there was all these things that going on in my heart where God was gently wooing me back. I remember sitting in my dorm room at university uh, on an Easter when it was just about empty because heaps of people had gone home. And I just felt like God came into that room and he whispered, I want you back. Changed my life. He's already at work in people's lives. He's already going and doing things. This is not a case of us taking God to people or to places where he isn't already. He's already there. This is a case of us trying to catch up and trying to get a sense of, God, what is it that you're doing in this person? What are you doing in this place? I just get to participate and partner with what you're already up to. If our assumption is, is that God is on, you know, how many of you have watched this um, C.S. Lewis, you know, the Narnia movies or read the books? Yeah, lots of us, especially if we've ever been kids, which I think we've all been. Um, There's that thing, Aslan's on the move. Aslan's on the move. This is, this, when C.S. Lewis wrote that, he's talking about God. Aslan is on the move. God is on the move all the time. We may not always see what he's doing very easily, but he's always on the move. And he chooses to invite us to participate with him. So we, um, we know that for ourselves. Uh, the other week, uh, we were telling stories of what God's been up to uh, in and through some of the people here at Coast. And Robin uh, Davies got up and told a story of how a few weeks back, or probably a month ago now, she was in Whangarei, and she bumped into a lady who was out on the street. She was begging for money. Um, she had been made homeless because of her uh, domestic violence situation. And Robin just started talking to her. What she later found out is that that lady was so desperate, and she was internally crying out to God that day, praying, God, if you're there, send me someone. Send me someone who will help me and pray for me. And he sent Robin. Robin just turned up. She was kind of interrupted in her day. God is already doing stuff. All of the weight of responsibility in evangelism lies on his shoulders, not on ours. So that's a really important place for us to start. His job is to soften people's hearts. Our job is simply to share what we have. Another thing that holds us back is that we think this is optional. Well, if those 1,500 times in Scripture haven't got your attention, let's just put big, bold, flashing lights around it and underline it and, you know, capital letters and all of that, where we're sent out to go 
all of us. At the end of Matthew, just before, uh, in the book of Matthew, uh, just before Jesus is leaving his disciples, one of the things he does with them is he gets them all together and he says, I'm sending you out. You are sent people. If we're following Jesus, that applies to us, just as much as it did to his original disciples. We're sent people. This isn't an optional extra if you're extroverted. It's not just for the extroverts. I'll tell you what, they find it hard too. We story for you, just to encourage your hearts. Bit of a confession, really. Here I am, putting together a message about sharing what we have. I went to the groomer yesterday, not for me, but for the dog. And because she needed a haircut, I know you may think that I do as well, but uh, popped off to the groomer, and uh, we were chatting as I was dropping her off, and she said, oh, I just had terrible, terrible migraines. I'm getting them like five times a month, and she had one the day before, and she said, oh, I still don't feel that great. <clears throat> and I felt like the Lord said, pray for her, and I didn't. I chickened out because her husband was there. And so I drove home and I said to the Lord, okay, but when I go back and get the dog, I'll do it then. I went back an hour and a half later and I still didn't pray for her because her husband was still around and I was chicken, basically, is all it was. I could have come to church this morning and told you this awesome story of how good I am at this and I'm just rubbish. I still find it hard and I am an extrovert and I have been doing this a while, but there you are. I get to see her again, and I'm going to have another crack at it. So, um, because I'm trusting that God is doing stuff, and even if I miss it and kind of blow it at times, that he's still up to stuff, and he'll put other people in her way, but I'll pay attention, and I will do it. God, help me next time. All right? Because we don't get to opt out. So here's a couple of thoughts to get us moving in this thing, so that hopefully all of us can do better. Our telling others about Jesus comes out of overflow. Just as we said at the beginning, when we are excited about, you know, the birth of a new baby or a grandbaby, or we've passed an assignment, or our children do something amazing, we overflow because we're so excited and we're passionate, and this is the stuff we think about. We overflow about what we love and are excited about. You know, if you've ever spent any time with anyone who's really into something, you're going to hear a lot about it. If you're with someone who loves politics, they're going to talk about politics. If you're with some sports fan, you are going to hear about the sport. I think there's rugby on, isn't there, today? Later on? Yeah. We'll finish promptly. Um, Thank goodness for my sky. (laughs) I am married to a sports fanatic. And so I hear a lot. I mean, he still can recount tries that were happening like 15 years ago or a bad call that a ref made in an All Blacks test or something. You know, like whatever we are passionate about, we talk about, whether that's, you know, um, our grandkids, whether it's a new show on Netflix or, uh, you know, whatever it is, cat videos on YouTube. People talk about the most interesting things. Um, But whatever we're full of, we overflow, don't we? Whatever we're thinking about, whatever we're excited about, whatever we're worried about, whatever's filling our hearts and our minds, that's what we're going to talk about. Luke 6.45, Jesus tells us this, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So the question each of us actually really needs to attend to is what is my heart full of? 
What is it full of? And if you're not sure, look at how you spend your time, energy, and money. That will tell you what you're full of. And if you don't like what you see, or you want it to be different, then ask him to come and help you to change it. We overflow what we love and are, uh, what we're excited about. The other thing is, is, is being full of Jesus is a bit like getting a bathtub, putting the plug in, turning the tap on, and leaving it running. That's what our relationship with Jesus can be like. At some point, the bathtub is going to overflow, isn't it? That's what our relationship can be like with Jesus, but that doesn't mean that it always is. One of the other reasons that can get in the way of us actually overflowing and telling other people is that we don't allow ourselves to become full or we allow ourselves to be emptied. So for some of us, what we actually probably need to start with is to go home today and find some time in the day to sit quietly, whether that's in the car at the beach or in your study or somewhere where you're not going to be interrupted and actually talk to God about this. Because some of us, the reason we're not giving away what we have is because we've allowed ourselves to become empty. And we probably need to start on our knees and pray, Lord, my heart is so full of other priorities or is so distracted with other things and other interests. The reason I never share my faith is because I'm too empty. Come and fill me up again. Or, for some of us, this might be the very first time that we would have talked to him about this. And we can say a similar thing. Lord, would you come and infect my life so much with Jesus that I become contagious everywhere I go? I want to be that person. So I need to keep putting myself in a place where God can keep filling me up so that I can learn how to overflow more and more and more. All right? Are you with me? All right. Second thing, thought, keep us moving, is let's just keep it simple. I'm all for simple. It's easier to remember. I have a horrible memory. Basically, it's what have we experienced? What do we know? What have we learned? And that doesn't have to be much. For some of, some of you here, you're really early on in the piece of actually following Jesus, and you'll be like, I don't know anything. Well, that's all right. You're in good company. Last week, Matt told the story of the blind man in Scripture, in John 9, 25. And he had been asked a whole lot of like tough questions by some of the people that were around at the time. And he was just like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to any of those questions. Here's what he did know. He met Jesus. He had been blind his whole life. But when he met Jesus, he was healed and could see. That was his story. He said, I don't know the answers to all that other stuff, but one thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. We sang that this morning, and it's based on that piece of scripture. And it wasn't a plan. It just kind of happened that way. Good job, Kira. Evangelism, in the words of, um, what's his name? Charles Spurgeon, who was a pastor in the 19th century, he tell, tells it like this. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. That's all we're doing. We're just sharing what we've got with another person that's trying to figure things out as well. You know, one of the most powerful things that we have is our story. 
Now, this doesn't mean that we have permission to dump on everybody, okay? Because we want to get really good at listening to people as well. We want to listen to their stories and actually genuinely care. And if we can't do that, we definitely need to God, God to do something with our hearts to give us, us his compassion for people. But then as we listen, we get to share some of our story that brings hope, or this is what God did with me, but in a really normal, really natural way. It doesn't have to be forced. It doesn't have to be manufactured. It doesn't have to be hyped up. It just is. That's what we have. We have the power of our story. Keep it really simple and listen to people, and then just be able to weave bits of your story into that. Some of that story is going to be historical, and some of it's going to be current. And we're just going to take a very quick look at a video clip of a uh, guy from the UK who uh, is, was a rugby player, and uh, he is telling his story. My name's Hugo Monnier. I'm a former rugby player. Um, I used to play for a team called Harlequins in London, um, played for England and the British and Irish Lions. I'm now a commentator slash pundit, so I've gone from playing rugby to talking about it, which is great. Whether it be socialising, making new friends, going into a new job, became a professional rugby player. Um, I guess I, I thought I was a bit too cool to go to church. It wasn't so much a priority in my life, put it on the back burner and kind of became infatuated and other things took the role of God in my life. That's kind of how it was for me. But then kind of moving into rugby, that, that changed a little bit. It became more of a focal point when I just started to find my feet a little bit. Um, it's funny, before every game, people talk about rituals and some guys, they put the right sock on first or they're out of the changing room last. But for me, within rugby, the one thing I always had to do was get on the phone and say a prayer before I went out onto the rugby pitch. For me, that moment was more important than any of the training I had done. We had a huge game against uh, London Wasps. Um, they're a big rival, huge game for us. And uh, written this message under my top. And I uh, scored one of the best tries I ever scored for Harlequins, my, my team. And uh, scored this try, lifted up my top, showing this message which says, uh, thank you, Jesus. No one saw the message apart from the people who were in front of me, which were in the crowd. None of my teammates have seen it. Not until about Tuesday, Wednesday, where some pictures came out in the press and it came out on the internet. And they were like, Hugo, what the heck was that? That didn't get it. They would, some, some guys were a bit concerned. They're like, is everything okay in your life? I mean, why do you need Jesus? I mean, what, what does that mean? I mean, like, are you part of a cult now? And asking all these kind of weird questions, but I was so glad that it became a topic and it was really cool. And then you could start talking to them about, you know, the reasons why you did it and why I felt. And for me, this has been my best news and I want the world to know about it. For me, it's just having conversations. It's not knocking on the door too hard. But it's just telling people about your good news. I love going to church. I love my God because of this is what he's done for me. If you want a part of it, whatever it is. But it's just having decent conversation. If people can trust and they see the authenticity in you, then they may want a piece of it too. I, I now commentate. I talk about rugby. And when I do my commentary, the one thing I know I've got to do is be excited about it because I'm talking to people at home. And if I can't be excited about rugby, how can I expect people at home to be and the same is, with, same is with the Christian faith. If when I'm talking about my Christian faith, if I'm like, what's it like? Yeah, well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not bad, you know. Um, you know, they do good cups of tea and uh, the message is normally pretty good. 
no one's coming to church. But if I'm genuinely excited about it, then, then they're going to get excited. They may want to understand. They may want to get it for them. And uh, yeah, be authentic about it. Be honest. Tell them about your experiences. Don't judge anyone. And if you're excited about it, show them that you're excited. Isn't that good? An English rugby man can be excited about Jesus. Kind of blows all those things out of the water, doesn't it? All those gross generalizations we make. That's what we have the power of in our stories. It's just being honest. It's being real. It's actually being honest about all of who we are with people. Because a, a normal and real part of my life is that I'm in relationship with God. So to not tell anyone about that, I'm kind of being dishonest. I'm withholding some of myself from them. So it's not real relationship, really. So this gives us the opportunity to be authentic, to be honest, to just talk about what we've experienced and what we're experiencing now and with some enthusiasm. Not that you have to drum that up because there are times when life is hard. Faith is hard. It's not a, it's not a cakewalk because life isn't. But even in the midst of those times, I can truly say that I know that God is with me and that there's always hope. And that gives me a place to stand even when everything else is falling apart. Finally, one other thought for us is that it inv- Oh, no, I've got two more, but I'll be real quick. It involves our words and our actions. You know, our way of being in the world speaks volumes to people. They watch how we live. We watch one another, don't we, actually? Our kids watch us, which is really daunting because they see us all the time, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, people often, uh, when they're coming towards the church, you know, they sort of say, oh, you know, we just one of the things we like is just, you know, you just keep it real. I'm like, yep, our kids come. You can talk to them, tell them who, ask them who we really are. They'll be honest. They'll tell you who we are all the time. But that is... The reality. And when Jesus was on the earth, he didn't just tell people about God. He did stuff as well to demonstrate God and his love. In Acts 10, 37 to 38, this is the early church, and Paul is talking about this. And he says, you know the story of what happened in Judea. It began in Galilee after John. John was Jesus' cousin who had started telling people to get ready, get their lives sorted out. Started with John, who preached a total life change. Then Jesus arrived from Nazareth. He was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit, and he was ready for action. I like that. He went through the country helping people and healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil. He was able to do all of this because God was with him. We're called to be word workers, not just sayers of of the good stuff and tellers of the good stuff, but actually doing stuff. You know, one of the things, I was so proud of that group of people that did um, live below the line. Was that just last week? Wow. And uh, that was them putting their stomachs where their mouth was because they cared enough about the situation of anti-trafficking and drawing people's attention to the issue of slavery and people that are vulnerable because they live below the line, the poverty line, that they went for a week of eating meals the whole day that would only cost two eighty five, two eighty five. That was all they could spend on food for the whole day. That I'm for sh- for sure. Those of you who did it, did you have some interesting conversations with people at work or at uni or whatever? Because they're like, "What are you doing, and why?" The why is because they care. 
about the people that Jesus cares about. That's their lives demonstrating what they're saying. Because one of the things I'm really passionate about for myself and for us as a church is that we are people that where there's congruence, where there's uh, kind of a, a natural and normal assimilation between what we say and what we do, between the words that we use and the way that we live. You know, one of the biggest criticisms of people, you know, that are outside of the church, as they look at the church, they would say it's just full of hypocrites. People who will stay one thing and then they are something else. You know, they might look like this on Sunday and the rest of the week they're someone else. God preserve us from that. I do not want that for myself. I sure as heck don't want that for us as a church. But that means that each one of us is serious about talking to God, about actually God. I want to be an active participant in the transformation that you are doing in my life from the inside out. This is not about us just conforming to a whole bunch of rules. This is actually us being changed and becoming all of God that he's made us to be from the inside out. So that if someone turns up at our house in the middle of the week unexpected, that who I am then is going to be just the same as what you see today. That if they look at my phone history, or my internet history, or my film history, or my books, what am I reading? It will all line up with who I say I am, and what I value, and what's important to me. It's just it's too much. We give people too much room to be able to throw that one at us. We want to get serious about this. And if this is such good news, it should be something that compels us because we're encountering Jesus' love. That's where it all changes. We get to live our lives on purpose. You know, it's really easy, and I know, I know this reality for myself. You know, you kind of hit those stretches of life where it's just really busy, and you're just sort of on autopilot. And, you know, often your quiet times can get to get a bit squeezed down. I'm like, Lord, I know that you're there, and then I get on with the day. And then we might, you know, chat again as I'm falling asleep on my pillow at night. That's just not enough. For any relationship to do well, all of us know from long-term relationships that we can get a little bit blasé sometimes, can't we? Take the other person for granted. We can do the same thing with Jesus. But that's not how it has to be. You know, Paul uh, is, a, is encouraging the church in Romans 8 verse 15, and he talks about the reality where we can start each day with this question of God, what's next, Papa? What's next? What, are you, what have you got for me today? That's how we can live our lives, on purpose, not just drifting through. And the last thing is prayer matters. Our prayer matters. Remember, this is a partnership where God's already out doing stuff. We want to have eyes and ears and hearts to recognize what that is and where he's doing it and who that's with. So that when I'm at work, if I'm having a cup of coffee with someone, I'm attentive to if he's telling me, okay, just, you know, you might want to mention your Sunday when you're talking about what we did the weekend. I can actually tell them I went to church. And that was good. Apparently the coffee's great. I don't drink coffee. I'm taking your word for it. But this is a partnership. It doesn't start with us, but the where we get our marching orders and game plan from is from spending time with God. And then we're also compelled, you know, that, that love of Christ that compels us, it compels us to pray. 
for the people that are in our lives that don't know him yet. Prayer really matters. I know that for a fact. Prayer changes things. In Matthew verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 14, it says, In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. This is just communication. It means we're not running blind. And we can be strategic with those conversations. So the, that last, going back to the beginning, but we're going to finish with this. If not us, who? And if not now, then when? This is actually a quote from John E. Lewis that actually had to do with the civil rights movement. I was reminded again of the suffragette movement yesterday. Someone, something came up and I was just like, you know, for anything worthwhile, people have had to choose to get involved. This is worthwhile, guys. We're talking about people that we love that are in our lives that God's brought into our world that don't know him yet. And they may not even know that they want to know him yet. But that's okay. We just keep, keep living life in front of them, keep talking to them and sharing them with them what God's been up to in us. But we have to choose to do that. And it's going to feel risky sometimes and a bit scary. But man, do a little dance when they're like, I'm kind of curious. And we have people that are here, that are here and that are now following Jesus because that's what happened for them. Because a friend told them about him. They invited them in. Come and see. Come and see. See what I've found. So, as we finish up, stop and think for a minute. Who could you meet for coffee? Who is it that God's put in your life to have conversations with? Just like that guy's saying, it's just having conversations. You know, we've got the quiz night coming up in a couple of weeks. Instead of um, binning your flyer, stick it prominently on your fridge. And every person that comes over, hey, do you want to come to the quiz night? We'll make room somehow. We had no chairs last year. We still made it happen. We'd just moved into the hub. We can do that. But be intentional. Be, be committed to this. Lord, who is it that I could invite to the quiz night? Who, are, who could I invite to the bonfire night? We always burn stuff for Guy Fawkes. So, you know, we're going to do that again this year. Who might be someone that we can invite? You know, we're going to take our family. Who, who might want to bring their kids along to something like that? A life group. At the moment, our life groups are, just, are closed for the holidays so that everyone can catch their breath a wee bit. But they're going to kick off again in the new term. And if you've been going to a life group and found it to be good, it will be good for other people as well. Invite them to come with you. Let's just be really good inviters and includers. And let's get really good at just giving away what we've found. Why don't we stand?